We have been waiting for this moment, I think, <laughs> all week. We have been patiently and sometimes I think not so patiently, right, heading towards this, this particular conversation. And so what I want us to do today is this. Uh, we're going to talk um, about Jonah, Jonah chapter 4. Um, and... I just want us to dive into it. So no preamble. Um, just circle up, get into groups, dive into Jonah 4, right? You're welcome to use these questions that we've been using all along as kind of a basis for conversation. Otherwise, just have the conversation. We're going to spend about half hour maybe or so on this, and then I've got some things that I want to try to kind of shepherd us through some conversations, okay? And I want us to try to map some biblical patterns over so over what's happening in Jonah. So. So, as we look at Jonah 4, we'll start with these questions, but at any point if you have additional questions, just we'll just answer them, okay? So, what surprises you guys as you read this? What's surprising about the story? Yeah. It was a little surprising to me that um, he decided to stay and kind of watch over, even though he was so hesitant originally to go there uh, that he uh, hates these people. He, yeah. still st he still sticks yeah. around. Right. Trying to figure out if it will or will not happen. What what's he watching for? Destruction, destruction here. You think he's just watching to see if God's actually gonna gonna destroy them? See what happens. Maybe he's watching to see if they will hold their end of the deal in Nineveh. They're gonna Okay. So in some ways he's watching say, okay, this repentance stuff. Yes. Let's see how long it lasts. Yeah, yeah. So then he can look at God and be like, I told you so. Yeah. These people are, right? Mm -hmm. Why, I mean, the text doesn't actually tell us. Right, right. No. Well, if he went out of the city, that way he wouldn't get hit by the destruction. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So, what does this tell us about Jonah's heart? Right. He's tired. He's still stubborn. Yep. There's still some hard-heartedness there, right? Again, we kind of end chapter 3 and we think, okay, Jonas had this massive encounter of the grace of God. And that the fish comes and saves him from drowning. Mm -hmm. At the point that he was going to die, God appointed a big fish to come and to save Jonas. And while Jonah's in the fish, he is reflecting over this. And we have his song in chapter 2. And in chapter 3 he goes, and it seems like we're on the hero arc, right? The hero has learned his stubbornness. He has encountered the grace of God. He has gone and done what God asked. The people repented in a way 
that nobody could have foreseen. And we are left almost with our classic kind of hero journey that we like in our stories, right? Our Marvel movies are full of this, right? Our superhero movies, all of our, our even our like, you know, it's um, like diehard kind of action movies, right? They're full of this kind of character arc. And then chapter four begins, but this displeased Jonah. He was really angry. And he goes out to the east of the city. And whined. Hmm? And whined. Right. Well, right. So what does it say, right? He, what is his whine? It says he prayed <coughs> to the Lord. Oh, I'm going to use Lord there as Yahweh. Personal name for God, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, Yahweh. Is this not what I said when I was still in my own country? Can you hear the anger? Didn't I tell you so? <laughs> right? This is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. Why did, when God said go east to Nineveh, why did Jonah run? He said, I, ta- I knew you were going to do this. Right? Can you almost hear the... For I knew... For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. Okay, what do we do with the fact that Jonah knows the character of God, but is mad when God is who God is? It's like when we see injustice, when I see injustices, you know, I, I, want, um, I want the people to be punished. And now? Now, yes. And in the way that I want it done? Yes. And in Our the timing family. I want it done, right? Yes, absolutely. Right. And that right. is right. the sinful nature of right. me. Right. Well, you would think maybe that this was out of character for God because all of this. Exodus 34. Okay? What Jonah quotes is Exodus 34. And Exodus 34 is after Mo- so Moses is on the mountain and he's getting the Ten Commandments from God. And he had been gone for 30, for 40 days. And the people are looking around and going, we don't know what's going on Moses. Is he still there? Is he gone? Has he been obliterated by God? We don't know. Aaron, we need, we need something to worship. Right? We're talking within days of them making a covenant with God, which we'll talk about later, right? They are now violating it by creating the golden calf. Right? These representations, they created man-made representations of Yahweh, right? And they begin to worship. 
And God says, hey, Moses, there's a problem. And Moses goes down and sees it. He deals the situation and he goes back up to intercede for the people with God. And this is that famous prayer where God's like, okay, I'm just going to start over. And Moses is like, you can't do that. You can't do that. These are your people and you brought them out of Egypt. And what are the nations of the world going to say about who you are if you destroy them in the desert? And it says in that passage that God relented. He changed his mind. And God says, okay, I won't destroy them, but I can't get near you. I won't go with you. And Moses is like, no, if you don't go with us, if your presence is not with us, then we don't go because your presence is what makes us different. Your presence is what makes us who we are. And so you've got this famous intercession dialogue between Moses and God. And at the end of that, Moses says, okay, now if I've found favor, I want to see I want to see you. And God says, you can't see me face to face. But I can hide you in this rock. And I will shelter you. And I will pass before you. And I'll let you see just a little bit of the backside. And so Exodus 34 is, let me just read it. It's that scene where God passes by and reveals himself to, to Moses. And so verse 5, Exodus 34, 5, says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name Yahweh. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Jonah throws. God says, this is who I am. Merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty. Hold on just a second. And Jonah throws that back in God's face. Knew you would do this. Yeah. And the reason he knew he would do it is because, well, what you were saying is that God's always saying destroy your enemies. But the but that's not always true. Because, you know, over and over again, yeah, there's times they destroy the enemies. But over and over again throughout the Bible, it's saying to be kind to the foreigners. You know, when they would give their their offerings to the priests, they would have to say, I was a wandering Aramean. You know, in other words, I was a foreigner myself. And you see throughout the Bible, even in Exodus, that the heroes are actually foreigners. You see, you see Pharaoh's daughter saving Moses. You see Jethro, the priest of Midian, who um, is taking Moses in. And the Midianites became uh, a stench to the Israelites later. And you see Rahab, the prostitute from Jericho. Right. You, you see, and you see the commission to actually go out and to be a light to the Gentiles. Right. And so you see that all throughout Scripture. So obviously Jonah knew that God wasn't just for Israel, that Israel was meant to be a light to the nations. But just like we were discussing in our group, in our churches, we tend to turn inward and 
we're like, we don't want the influences of the world in our, in our circle. And so um, I think that's a natural response. And so you see the same thing going on with Jonah. And when it, Jonah says that, well, when, when it says that God relented from um, the, the calamity that he's going to do unto them, um, in Hebrew, it actually, that's not what it says. It says that God repented from evil. Is literally what it says in Hebrew. And, um, you know, most translators, the King James actually gets it correct. And if you look up the Hebrew text, it is God repented from evil. That's what it says. And Let me just pause you right there. It's yeah. all good. Okay. Anybody have anything you want to add to this? Yeah. I was just going to say, um, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Right, right. And so, right. Jonah, and we all have to get reminded of that sometimes when God does things that we don't want to do, or he does it differently than we want. Right. right. And we right. get upset about it. It's right. like, well, right. we don't think like that. Right. <laughs> what else? What else surprises, confuses, seems unbelievable? What else are you noticing in the story? What else are you talking about? Yeah. It's a little surprising how it ends on a cliffhanger. We don't know how Jonah right. reacts. He doesn't know how if he does actually repent. It actually ends on a question, right? And, and so it kind of leaves you as the reader to answer the question for your for yourself. Right. With that question, what is the implied answer to that question? Like we don't know Jonah's response, but there is actually an answer that it feels expected to that question, right? <laughs> right. And should I not be concerned? Right. And I should I, the God of the universe, not be concerned about Nineveh? Almost not really a question. It's almost a rhetorical sort of. Right. It's very. I would argue it's very much a rhetorical question. Right. And again, if you notice, where do we see God appointed in this story? In this chapter, where do we see the word appointed keep showing up? When he does acts of like miraculous acts, basically like plants. Yep. Okay. So, what do you mean with the plants? Well, he made a plant grow. Yep. And he made a worm pop. You know? Yep. And earlier he appointed a fish. Right. He appointed the fish to then spit up. Yep. He is constantly, you know, in control of the situation from start to finish. But like, so here in this story, right, we've talked about the fish, that as Jonah got appointed a fish here, Lord appointed a bush, he appointed a worm, then he appointed a wind to kill the, kill the plant, right? So anytime we see God appointing something, he is controlling, but to what end? What's he trying to do? Convince who? Convince the one who doesn't believe or doesn't trust him. And in this case, it's what? Us. Jonah. God is appointing these things. God is using these object lessons. God is working to try to convince Jonah. He's there. That he's God. <laughs> to have his heart. Yeah. Sitting behind this whole book is the heart and the character of God. It wasn't enough that Jonah knows it because he throws the character of God right back at God. It wasn't that he knew it because he knew it. It was that he owned it. That he had it. 
that the heart of God be his heart. That his heart be in line with the heart of the God of the universe. So God is working with him patiently. Kendall said last night in service, talking about the patience of God with us. It is the patience of God with Jonah to try to shape his prophet so that the prophet has God's heart. God is unrelentingly gracious to the Ninevites, but he is unrelentingly gracious to Jonah. He is working so hard to convince the person that's supposed to be his prophet and his man to have his heart for the nations. To look beyond himself. Like I see is Jonah is a very, very passionate and very mm -hmm. self-controlling character. But it, it's like it's very clear in here that in the actions and in the words that God makes it clear that you are no match for me. To right. talk back to me, to tell me where things right. are going, right. and no one is beyond the reach of God. It's right. very clear right. in here. Absolutely, there's no nation in the world that's beyond the reach and the mercy of God. Period. Right. It's interestingly though, God could have powered up on Jonah and tried to squash him and force him to do what he wanted to do. He doesn't do that. He's trying to convince Jonah. By all the examples he's given, because he, even at the very end, he said, "You know, should I not be concerned?" He's trying to point, change Jonah's way of looking at it, so Jonah understands. He's treating Jonah as a partner, yeah. and not as a robot right. or even a servant. Even though Jonah is a servant, he's not treating him as somebody to be dismissed or somebody to be powered up on. And if you walk through the scriptures as God works with his people, that is what he does. God does not like it. Yes, God has every right and every authority. to. He is all powerful. But what we see here is not the authoritarian God. We see the God who is working in plants and bugs and winds and fish to win the heart of his prophet. So that his prophet shares the heart of Almighty God. God is developing the character of Jonah. And he's developing a partner in his mission. And he's not being utilitarian with him. God is not pitching Jonah aside the first time he makes a mistake. Or the first time that he is stubborn with him. This is the grace of God. And this is the heart of the Father that just beats behind this book. The heart of the Father for the nations. But in order to reach the nations, in some way he's first got to get a hold of his own prophet. This is why I started with Mark. In order for Jesus, through the apostles, to reach the nations, he's first got to be able to reveal himself and reach the apostles. Right? His disciples. They've got to know him. They've got to let him tear down all the false beliefs and all the false thoughts and all these ways that they have constructed. This is who the Messiah is supposed to be. And this is how the Messiah is supposed to act. And Jesus got to help them rip all that down and by the power of the Spirit rebuild 
this is who I really am, and this is what it means to follow me. This is what he's doing with Jonah. Jonah, your way of understanding my relationship to the nations is faulty. And you're mad at me for being who I am. And you're mad at me for showing mercy. I mean, you pick these same things up in the parables of Jesus, don't you? You've got that one parable where he hires laborers and they start in the morning and they keep every hour. He goes back and hires more. And at the end of the day, he hires people. And at the end of the day, right, everybody gets paid the same thing. And the people who came in first are like, wait, I deserve more. And he's like, hold on. Are you going to be angry because I am merciful? And so it's that same this is the heart of God. This is He's trying to develop partners in mission. He always gives you a choice. Right. Throughout the entire Bible, you're always given a choice. He, he doesn't Absolutely. try to force you in anything. But he also, like, the hope in Jonah is he doesn't give up. Right. He doesn't give up on us when we're stubborn, when we're angry, when we're confused, when we're demanding that God be somebody that we want him to be, when we're actually creating an idol, making God after our image, and when he goes after that idol in our heart to say, no, what you created is a version of me that you like, but it's not who I actually am. And I'm going to pull that out of your heart and life. And we get testy about that, right? Because we can control the God that we make. We don't get to control him. And he comes in, though, and says, no, 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 no. If you're going to be my people... I'm going to show you who I am. I mean, Jonah throws the right answer in God's face and actually says, that's why I don't want to do what you want me to do. Because I actually know you. And I know how you're going to respond. Yeah. I was going to say, it also um, kind of shows, too, that it was a way of humbling him as well. Because mm-hmm. yeah. the, fact, the fact that he said that he was, was going to go the opposite way made it sound like if he did this, then he was going to change the outcome. Right. Right. But I think it's important for us, though, as we kind of think about the mission of God, as we think about ministry, that we understand, yes, we are servants of God. Yes, we are servants of the church. Okay? We are. It's not our church. It's not our ministry. It's not our world. It's his. But at the same time, He's developing us to be partners with him. To partner with him. And he's not, we live in a culture that's utilitarian. When somebody, when something does no longer fulfill its purpose in our lives, we get rid of it. And sometimes we do that with people. But the grace of God is such that he's working to build us as partners with him in his mission. There's a biblical concept I want to introduce. Maybe you've heard it. It's the missio dei, the mission of God. Right? From the beginning, God is on a mission in the world. And I want to fill this out for us. But I want us to see, in Jonah, we see what? We see that God desperately loves the nations and works to save those separated. God loves the world. Period. Full stop. God also desperately loves his people. And so he works to produce his heart in him, in us, 
so that his people will join his mission to save those that are separated from him. And so God is passionately pursuing the hearts of his people so they will willingly, like, I don't even know if I have the right words, right? The God of all creation wants to woo us to join him in his heart and his work for the world. It's not a joining of, like, here. It's a joining of here. It is. No, it's not an equal partnership, right? But I'm telling you, folks, that sometimes I've got enough history and I've got enough life experience now that sometimes, that last one, God is not utilitarian with us. Sometimes it's really easy to think, I made a mistake. I, I was stubborn. I walked away. And so I have voided God's plan for my life. Mm-hmm. I've missed him. I'm off track. I'll never get back on. And sometimes in the church, we can speak these words of fear over people. Mm-hmm. Because fear will motivate. And fear will motivate more quickly. We see this in politics. Yeah. We see this right now in the church. We see this in every area. Those slippery slope arguments. Well, if you make one mistake, don't make a mistake because if you make a mistake, you're lost. Or if you do this, this is gone. Or if you hold this thing, you're just a hair's breadth away from going off the end. And what I want to say is I think it's important for us in Jonah to grasp God is not utilitarian. It is not a partner of evils. Absolutely. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, I don't call you servants any longer. I call you friends. It's unexpected for us. And it's as difficult, too. To be a friend is different than being a father or a mother or a sister or a brother. You know that right. you have to actually grow up and be responsible for your own decisions, whether right. they are um, in life or with your spiritual life. Whatever right. responsibility comes with friendship right. that isn't there right. with other relationships. But if it's boss-employee relationship, I can just command you to do what you want to do, and I don't have to care what you think. I don't have to care how you feel. I don't have to care what's going on in your life. I'm sending you to the task. And if you do the task great, if you don't, I'll fire you and I'll find somebody else. And sometimes I think that's how we think about God is with us. And it never excuses our rebellion. It never excuses our rebellion. But if you read Jonah, that's not who he is. If we read the scriptures, that's not who he is. I was just going to say, it's just like you have a um, owner, then you have uh, minority owners or partners in either a corporation or sports team, whatever. But you still always have that principal owner, the primary, but you still have minority owners that they get together, right. and whatever the decision is for the company or the team, they all listen. Right. And the, the primary owner, you know, has them wrong. Right. Into the into the um, discussion. That's what it looks like. That's what that last one reminds. And the thing is, is that he is master. He is Lord. 
full stop. Okay? We don't get to be God. He doesn't suddenly make us quasi-gods. This isn't a partnership of equals. But it, when we talk about the, having a relationship with God, this is what we're talking about. Of somebody who's investing in us, who's trying his best to put his heart and character in us, who has already put his spirit in us. Okay, I'm going to take one more question, then I want to. Yeah. He's Father God. Mm -hmm. He created us in his image. Right. He wants his family back. Right. Right. <coughs> I kind of mentioned this to um, a couple people in our town that I thought God kind of created COVID to wake up us. And they go, no, I mean, I mean it. You don't think God made that man, <laughs> you know? And, you know, and the thing through COVID I was shocked at, because everybody thought that you're going to die. I mentioned to them, well, they go, well, where's your mask? I said it in a good spot. Well, why aren't you wearing it? I know where I'm going. Well, you shouldn't be talking that way. Why? I know where I'm going. It's going to be a better place than here, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, this isn't this isn't with me. Okay, this isn't mine. I want to start talking this today. I'll kind of wrap it up tomorrow. Um, but I want to walk this through as a way of talking through some patterns in Scripture. Okay, that Jonah is not the first. Jonah is laid into a pattern in Scripture that we see. Okay. So if we think about this one, this is creation, right? You have. Adam and Eve, created in a place that is good, placed in a garden, in a good world, in the presence of God. And even from the beginning, what do we hear? Fill the earth. The blessing of God is what? The blessing. <laughs> Cell phones are wonderful, aren't they? Sometimes they're just like... Um, even from the beginning, what do we find? Genesis, end of Genesis 1 is God created them, male and female. Okay, male and female, he created them. And then he said what? He blessed them. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and what? Do it. So even from the beginning... Before sin, there was a mission of God to partner with humanity, to be part of ruling, to be part of managing, caring for, overseeing, extending his rule into creation. Right? Not a partnership of equals, but a partnership of God on mission to bless Engage the world. Now, when Adam and Eve decided to trust themselves more than God, and at the heart, that's what they did. They decided to trust their wisdom, their way, and to be like, quote unquote, like God, right? They're trusting themselves and their wisdom and their way over his. Sin enters the picture. And so it breaks. 
the relationship between them. It breaks the relationship in their own hearts, right? It actually then also impacts all of creation. So we were created by good, but we've been damaged by sin. Okay? What is God's response to that? Well, it becomes pretty clear that what God begins to do is he begins to create a people. He still looks for partners. He looks for people who will worship, love, serve, whom he can invest in, bless, shape, so that they can partner with him to be part of redeeming the world that they live in. Now, this comes to real fulfillment in ways in Abraham, right? Abraham, leave your family, your country, and go to the place I'm going to show you, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you a great nation, and through you all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Okay? Forget the cross right now. We'll get there. Okay? But even before the cross, what do we have? God working within a sinful world to create a people that are his. Okay? That know him, that he's revealing himself to, so that they can be his people. And then he can send them together as part of his plan to engage, redeem the world. So, God's people end up in Egypt. They're slaves. They multiply there. 400 years later, God shows up to Moses and said, I've heard the cries of my people. And I'm going to deliver them, and you're going to go. God goes, he frees them with the plagues that cross the Red Sea. God proves to them again who he is. He reveals to them, this is who I am. And we get to Exodus 19. And this is really pivotal. This is just before the, um, the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. God has brought the people to Sinai. And he says this, You've seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. God says, you're going to be a holy nation out of all. I'm going to pick you, but then Why? So that you can be a kingdom of priests. You can be a priestly kingdom. Priests stand between God and humanity. The whole purpose of him calling Israel was so that they could represent, they could know him on the one hand and walk with him and then they could represent him to the world. God is building a people that can be part of his mission to redeem, restore the world. This is the pattern. And sometimes we want to think of the most helpful image I've been given for understanding Sinai is that it's a marriage ceremony. Right? It is grace that brought them to that point. 
Sometimes we think Old Testament is just all law and rules and regulations, <coughs> and New Testament is grace. Actually, that's not true at all. No. We see it right here in this passage. <coughs> you saw what I did and how I brought you out to myself. It is the grace of God that reached out to this enslaved people and brought them out to bring them to himself. And the Sinai covenant basically is a marriage commitment. You're going to be my people. And I'm going to be your God. And these are the vows that we're going to take together. What does it look like to live out in that time and in that place? What does it look like to live out as the people of God? Well, these are the stipulations. We make vows, right? I take you as my husband. I take you as my wife, for richer, for poor, in sickness and health, right? We make these vows that we're going to live into. And that's essentially what we have happening here, that God is forming a people that will then be part of his plan to redeem the world. Because God is on a mission. But God also is partnering with us as humans to be part of that. By his grace, he's creating a people that he can send together. <coughs> Jesus becomes the ultimate fulfillment of this, right? In Jesus, we are redeemed. We are set right with God. <coughs> By his grace, we can be set right with each other. And God creates a family. It's a new people. Right? That by his power, he begins to break the power. He breaks the power of sin in our lives. He begins to renew us, redeem us, make us right. He helps us put right relationships with each other. But it's not just for that. It's so that we then can be sent out on mission together to be part of what he is doing to redeem and restore the world. This is the pattern. And we can take it back and we can see it all through the Old Testament. And what we find is that this pattern is never fully fulfilled in Israel. It's not. What we have is they become the people of God and they isolate themselves. And they pride themselves on being the people of God. And they're in and everybody else is out. And they lose the calling to be a kingdom of priests. But all throughout the Old Testament, this is still the calling. And this is what God through the prophets and even through actions before that continually reminds them. And all of the covenant renewal ceremonies that happen as people come into the land there to remind them of this is who we are. We are the people of God. We are set apart to him so that we can be a kingdom of priests. Yep. And in this new land, this is who we are, right? This is our identity. This is what he is doing in us. And this is the mission that he's inviting us into. <clears throat> and it doesn't allow us to be arrogant. And it doesn't allow us to have God by the tail. And it doesn't allow us to be abusive to people around <coughs> us. Right? Sometimes right now mission is the thing. And you know, I've heard pastors say, like, we're on a mission, and if you're not on the mission with us, we're gonna run over you. Right? You just need to get out the way because we're gonna do this for Jesus. And I cringe a little bit. Right? Because that's not that's not the character of Jesus that I see. We're gonna we can invite you into a mission, and we'll help prepare you for that mission. Because that's what God is doing. And we do the mission together. 
and right. There'll be seasons where we can and seasons, right? But this is the pattern that we see. And this is the pattern that the book of Jonah is playing with. Right? Where's Jonah? Jonah seems to be really okay with being part of the people of God. He's struggling. When the call is, God, you're going to show grace and mercy to those people? They don't deserve it. And God is working to develop in Jonah a heart. And Jonah, in many ways, stands in as a proxy, a representative for the people of Israel in this story. That this is what God has been trying to do in his people for as long as he has been working with them. And it's why when you get to the prophets, they start talking about, and Isaiah starts talking about this servant. This servant of God who's going to come and who's going to work with God to set things right. And you kind of can't tell, is it a people? Is it a person? And it's kind of both. Yeah. And Jesus becomes the ultimate fulfillment of that what? So that he can create the people of God in a new way. You start getting, the prophets start talking about, man, we just can't, we can't stay on track. We can't love God with our whole hearts. And, and we, can't, we can't stay on mission with him. We just, we just can't. And Jeremiah starts talking about, you know, there's a new covenant coming. And God's going to put the law in your heart. And it's not going to be eternal. He's going to put a new spirit in you. Because they understand that this, this, this wasn't able to be full. This is the pattern. But it wasn't able to fully be lived out until Jesus came. And the temptation for us, I think, in our churches, in our own lives, is to be very content right here and stay very focused right here. And in our cultural moment that we live in, where everything feels up in the air and everything feels hard and everything is divided, and we have deep opinions on who's right and who's wrong, and we have deep opinions on who's good and who's bad, and if you listen to our culture, you're either good or evil and there's no <laughs> And if you agree with me, you're good. And if you disagree with me, you're evil. And that is getting mapped onto our church now. And it's getting mapped onto the way that we interpret scripture. If you agree with me, you're good. If you're not, you're, 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 you're evil and you're doing evil. Okay, sometimes that may be true. But not at the level we, we seem to do this right now. The reality of it is is that we can get right here and we get so focused. And it's safe. But what God has always done is wanting to send us out together. Mark says when Jesus called us the disciples, he did it for two reasons. He said first so that they would be with him. Say, no man. And second, so he could send them out to proclaim the good news and to cast out demons. They were called to be with him and then called to be sent out together. 
This isn't an individual mission. It's not even our mission. I can't save the world. We can't even save the world. But we can be a part of the mission of God to do that. And what we see in Jonah is God is relentless with us to develop that heart in us so that we are his people knowing and we are his partners. We're his friends who love what he loves and who love the people that he loves. And so Jonah ends with a question. Jonah, God had gone through this whole thing of creating this object lesson for Jonah. Jonah, you're angry about the plant? Yeah, I'm mad. I'm mad enough to die. You can just kill me over this plant, God. <laughs> right? I mean, that's what he does. And he's like, but Jonah, that's a plant. And here's a huge city full of people that don't know their right from their left. And in biblical parlance, that means there's no moral knowledge. They don't know. They are sheep without a shepherd. They are completely lost in hell. <coughs> Jonah, I'm not supposed to care about them? And the implication is, and you're not supposed to care about them? And God, and so the writer of Jonah leaves it dangling for us. And he leaves it dangling so that we have to face it. Where's our heart? What has God been doing in our lives to shake us of our stuff? How has he been preparing us to be a partner with him? Yeah. It's the same way, like if you're a parent and you're trying to set up your child <coughs> to realize it for themselves. Right. And he has all this love and patience with Jonah. Right, absolutely. Yeah. So tomorrow what we'll do is we'll just do a wrap-up. So we'll take some final questions and stuff, and then I've got a little more material that I kind of want to walk through just to kind of, because we've, we've laid the foundation and we've talked a little bit about what God has been doing and how he has been tearing some things down in Jonah's life to rebuild. And it it's really is, in this way, a healthy deconstruction process, not an unhealthy one. And then we'll kind of wrap that up tomorrow. So if you have additional questions, I'll be happy to answer. And, so, but thanks. You guys have been, it's been really fun. So. All right, well, that's it, I guess, for today. Um,